and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. Today is Monday, September 27th, 2021, and this is episode 35A. On this week's A episode, we're going to be kicking things off as usual with the comic book pull list, going over some things that I'm really excited for this week, which does include a number of final issues, as well as... Um, yeah, actually, a couple miniseries coming to an end as well. Um, so there's some really good stuff in there. After that, we will talk Star Wars Visions Season 1. That has been out since this past Wednesday. It was a whole season of 10 to 20 minute episodes, all anthology style Star Wars um stories. So I'll talk a little bit about that and the inspiration behind even having that show existing. And then we'll get into Doom Patrol season three. HBO Max went ahead and put up episodes one through three of Doom Patrol season three last Thursday. Um, so I'll, I had a lot of stuff to talk about as far as TV goes on the Friday episode, which I actually posted on Sunday. Um, so I kept that till today as well. It was three episode so I wanted there to be time to watch it for myself and for other people so I finished watching it this afternoon and we're going to talk about it now on this episode and I'm very excited for that. As usual you can find me online you can find me on Instagram my username is Anna with the comics because my name is Anna hi how are you and I have a <laughs> I have a lot of comics. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter. My username is Savage She Geek. I wanted to be Sensational She Geek, but that's too many letters apparently. So there we go. Um, I do have my website, which is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com, and I am very proud to say I have updated it to have all of the podcast notes up to date, finally. <laughs> um, aside from, of course, this one and the Inferno podcast, which will be coming out. It was supposed to be, I was doing finger guns there. You couldn't see that. Um, <laughs> aside from the Inferno podcast and this one, which I will be uploading those podcast notes once I finish uploading the episodes. Um, but anyway, I do have my podcast notes on my website. If you would like to access those, the website is www.sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. You have to have the Weebly extension in there because I have yet to make money off this podcast to pay for the website. And I got bills and stuff, you know, so it's got the Weebly extension in there because it's free. Um, so you can find the pod notes on there. The pod notes are there as the basic outline of things that I go over, uh, well, things that I would like to go over in a any podcast episode, place to take my notes and to get my thoughts collected so that I don't get too off track and whatnot. Um, it's also there for anyone who is hearing impaired who would like to keep up with the podcast um, as well. Um, I mentioned already the Inferno Special Edition podcast, kind of in passing, but that will be coming tonight. Should be tonight. Um, it should be coming tonight. I have it all set up and ready to go. I just have to get around to recording it, which should be happening right after I record this one. I'm going to crack open a bottle of wine and we are going to have some fun with that. So keep your eyes or ears or whatever you're doing, um attentive for that <laughs> for when that comes out because inferno does start this wednesday and this is gonna be a big deal i'm really excited for it um it, it's gonna be really cool so if you have any curiosities about the original 80s inferno event what the hell it has to do with the modern inferno event 
who the major players are going to be in this modern inferno event what the rundown of basically the how we got here for dawn of x house and powers of x all of that going to be going over all of that important information including moira and all of her past lives and what all of that even means and of course the issue with clones the issues with precogs madeline pryor a little bit about Ileana rasputin because she's important to the 80s inferno as well and I love her. Um, so all of that is going to be on that Inferno podcast. And I mentioned that while I'm talking about my website, because I have it all prepped up and ready to go. <laughs> I have 18 pictures that I will be referencing as I go through that. I told you I'm putting some work into this. I've got 18 pictures that I'm going to be referencing as I go through that Inferno podcast, um, Inferno prep podcast, I guess. Um, and so I will be making those available as soon as I post the podcast episode so that you can access them and go along and see the photos that I'm referencing and understand what I'm talking about. So really excited for that. It's my first, I guess you would say, somewhat interactive podcast. Um, so that's really exciting too. Um, other things on my website, of course, linked in that um, it'll be the pod notes for the Inferno prep podcast, as well as those 18 photos linked in that, um, in that blog post as well will be the Madeline Pryor in, uh, reading order, which is her entire history to date, um, of everything that's happened with her. You can read literally the beginning to the ending in an hour and a half. I literally reread it myself the other day in preparation for the podcast that I'm doing, um, to refresh myself and I, I did it in, I think it was under an hour and a half. So, um, if you want to know her character, that is my absolute best advice to do so. Um, and that is available under the reading lists slash reading orders category on my website as well, as long as, along with several other really cool female characters who I adore. Also linked on my website is everywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which does include YouTube. Um, which is also where I have a bunch of action figure review videos, the latest of which is the Hasbro HasLab Marvel Le Hasbro Marvel Legends HasLab Sentinel. Um, that was the one that was the 2020 HasLab for Marvel Legends. Um, it was <laughs> $350, and spoiler alert, they did not give you the batteries for the lights in this toy. <laughs> The knees do wobble. It's an easy fix. Um, I'll talk all about that in the video. It's only about a 12 minute long uh, review video, so um, it's not going to take up your entire afternoon. There's, it's one of those, you know, watch it while you eat dinner kind of things. Um, but yeah, that's up there if you want to if you want to see any of the details on the Haslab Sentinel, um, the unboxing of it, everything like that. I have um, all put up there for anyone who is interested. These days, I also do have a podcast Patreon. You can find me on there under Sensational She Geek. I have to do a shout out to the latest Patreon to, patron to sign up on Patreon. Uh, Instagram username, I hope it's okay to give you a shout out. Agent Anderson Wick. So shout out to that user for signing up there. I do appreciate that. And like I always say, this podcast is always going to be free. I do not believe in charging people for things 
like listening to music and stuff. So, um, <laughs> I, uh, and I know that's like a really complicated thing in the music industry. So that's not what I'm saying is take the music industry's money. That's not what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm just saying this will, this will never be something that you get charged for any, anything that, um, ends up as a podcast donation goes directly to me being able to put more time into the podcast instead of working a date, what I'm calling my day job, um, which has absolutely nothing to do with me as a person. It's just what I do to pay bills. Um, so uh, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do that on the podcast Patreon under Sensational She Geek. Like I said, um, you can also do a one-time donation under uh, She Geek on Ko-fi, which is K-O-F-I. The whole idea behind that site is donate to a creator so they can buy a cup of coffee to keep themselves working, stuff like that. Um, yeah, and that's 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 what I'm, I'm trying to, I'm just, I still have to, um, I have a few other of those like cash app and stuff and Venmo that I want to get straightened out just in case, you know, those are options for anyone as well. Um, but we will update that when I get there. Also a quick shout out to Carmen. She knows who she is. She sent me a couple of really, really awesome Spider-Gwen posters that are signed by Rico Runzi, who is one of the key designers for Spider-Gwen's whole universe, as well as her costume. Um, he worked on the Into the Spider-Verse movie, as well as every comic Spider-Gwen has been in since she became Spider-Gwen. So he's a really cool dude. I did actually get to meet him at a con. Um, he's got some really cool stuff that he like does graphic design for. So if you ever get an opportunity to meet Rico Renzi, check him out. And thank you very much, Carmen, for the goodies. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the comic book pull list for this week. Kicking off with the number ones, we have two indie stories. The first is called Verge Number One. Uh, this is coming from this publishing studio, Red Five. It says a mysterious time travel event known as The Verge has brought together thousands of people from across all of history to New York City. Vikings, samurai, Romans, Mayans, cavemen, and thousands of others all live in a vast and turbulent melting pot. Connie Liu, an NYPD detective, investigates the murder of three samurai, a case which threatens to turn the divisions in the city into all-out war. This is coming from Bryce McLellan and Silvo... DB is what it says the last name is here. I'm interested in this for obvious reasons. Um, this is like Night at the Museum except a comic and not a museum. That was a really terrible analogy. Really bad. Um, but it just sounds really interesting uh, bringing all of these different historical time periods together into New York City which as itself is already pretty nuts place, so um, that just sounds like a fun concept to be playing with for a series. Children of the Plague is a one-shot coming from Dark Horse, written by Robert Love, with art by Jeffrey Kimbler. Uh, the solicitation for it talks of children who are somehow infected for the disease from outer space, and they for begin forming superpowers, and they become the, quote, children of the plague, where they are rounded up, tested on, and put into battle by the evil Valmount Corporation. It says Remy, a young female Indo-American infectee who develops powers of her own, must free herself and her brother from a life of war and servitude. Can they find a way to free themselves? It's a one-shot sounds pretty interesting. Um, it's kind of like a dystopian future sort of situation where classic tropes of 
corporate takeover of the world, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it sounds really cool. I'm saying blah, 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 but I'm interested. <laughs> it's just a, uh, moving on. <laughs> uh, Batman Reptilian number four of six. This is, of course, by Garth Ennis and Liam Sharp. Um, this issue is potentially hailing the first appearance of the creature's mother. Um, spoiler alert for anybody who has not been keeping up with solicitations of upcoming reptilian issues. As far as I can tell, the creature is the spawn of uh, King Killer King Croc, Killer Croc, and something else. Um, so I guess this creature's mother is like searching for it or something. It's searching for her. Um, whatever the mother is must be quite crazy <laughs> um, to make the kind of spawn that would kind of out crazy killer shark. Um, so I'm really, really excited to see what she is. And of course, this is a black label series from DC, so it's not gonna be connected to anything else. Garth Ennis was probably um, one of the best choices for writers on this because, it's, it's, I mean, Punisher, Preacher, the dude's got a laundry list of dark comics, that he, dark and gritty comics that he's written, so that just makes sense. And Liam Sharp um, is, is very impressed with his art style because he can change how his art looks the the tone of it depending on the project and in this project batman reptilian um it seems that he is allowing himself to go full um fully into the kind of art that he seems to be very passionate about which is, seems to be some kind of painting um i'm not a pro at that kind of thing so don't ask me. <laughs> I'm not really sure what it is, but it looks like oil painting to me. Um, and it is high drama. It is high caricature. Is that a thing that people can say? It's just a lot of caricatured characters. Self-explanatory. Um, and very spooky. So it fits the whole theme of reptilian just really, really well. Black Cat number 10 is the final issue of the Jed McKay Black Cat series which is unfortunate because they did the same thing. It didn't even make it to the 12 issues the last series made it to. Or was it 13? I'm not sure. Um, that, that sucks. Why do they keep canceling this Black Cat series? I feel like a lot of people really enjoy it. Anybody who I've talked to about it who's read it really enjoys it. Um, I, I will say, though, that this Black Cat series does have a like a special edition or something that's coming out in, I think, November. Um, that's going to be wrapping up her whole saga, as well as the whole Infinity score. Whatever the hell it is that's happening with the Infinity Stones. Honestly, it's been a, a massive snooze for me. Um, it's been the most boring Jed McKay writing I have ever read, is this whole Infinity Stone crap that she's doing right now. And I... I don't know what's going on. I have the hardest time concentrating on that and catching it and reading it and remembering it, absorbing it. Um, so I'm not really sure what it is. I, I just, it just bores me. And um, I'm hoping that we at least get a really solid send off for Felicia because she deserves better. Um, I just realized also I didn't put these in order. <laughs> 
um, their alphabetical order is what it actually looks like I did. Uh, aside from the first two, I don't know what I was doing when I, when I made my podcast notes this week. Um, <laughs> anyway, next comic. <laughs> Cinnamon number three is issue three of three, which is very, very upsetting to me because this, this year is exactly what I want to see in comics. This is the story written and drawn by Victoria Douglas coming from Behemoth. This is the story of a kitten. But it's like told in part from the owner's perspective, which is like, oh, I'm coming home and hi, cat. Wow, you look like you've been running around like crazy. And then like you see the cat's perspective (laughs) and the cat's perspective is like, the boss is back you know they're they're in a motorcycle and they're wearing the leather jacket and so when the cat when the kitten is like just speeding around the house the cat's perspective is in them and they're like with their mohawk with the leather jacket on the motorcycle just tearing up the city and the couches and stuff are the city like oh my gosh it's perfect (laughs) this is the kind of thing that um And I understand why this can't go on for a whole bunch of issues, because this is a kind of gimmick that only lasts for so long. But could you imagine, like, a collected edition of just, like, give a bunch of different creators who write and draw just a stupid premise like this? Um... And I feel like we would have something really great there. It's just these kinds of things. It's ridiculous. It's silly. Um not really thought-provoking, but just incredibly spot-on with what it does capture, um, and hits the mark like nothing else, so. Cinnamon 3 of 3. Um, I actually have a spare copy of issue 2 I'm gonna send to a friend of mine, um, who actually works with my husband, so I hope she likes it. She's got cats, and we both talk about how we love cats and how if dogs for us are like children. She does have a child of her own, but um, <laughs> uh, kind of like children for the most part, where um, they're fine if they're somebody else's, but I don't want one of my own. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, Cinnamon is a work of art, and I beg of you to read it. Extreme Carnage Omega number one. I almost fudged up that title. Um, it is the final installment of this Extreme Carnage mini event series. I'm honestly not sure what to call it, um, but it is the final installment of it. And all it says in the solicitation is, it's all come down to this. Carnage wins. Which I don't really, I mean, based on all solicitations I've seen for the future um, that are available, I, I'm, I'm going to go with no, he does not win. <laughs> because we don't see any other Carnage stuff happening in comics beyond this. So my guess is Carnage is not going to win for whatever reason, whether they get agony to switch sides or whatever it is that ends up happening. Um, It's more than likely that Silence and Anti-Venom are going to be able to do what they got to do and stop Carnage from 
whatever it is that he's planning. I don't even know. Do we know what he's planning? <laughs> Just general mayhem, right? Isn't that kind of how it goes? Um, this is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, who is fantastic. If you are not reading, um, I believe it is action comics. There was something he was writing that was really good. I think it was the the future state. Um, super some of the future state super, su some of the future state Superman stuff, um, which may have trickled over into what we're doing now. What are we in Infinite Frontier? Is that what we're calling it? Um, in any case, he's great, and I'm expecting this issue to be at least entertaining at the very least. The Good Asian, number four, or excuse me, number five of seven. We're winding down with this series. Uh, this is coming from Image Comics, and the solicitation is quite brief. It just says, suffering a traumatic loss, Edison Hark relieves, re relives the pivot, <laughs> relives, okay, I had to read that to see what it is I'm reading, <laughs> relives the pivotal and contentious moment that led a Chinese-American to become a cop in 1930s America as the, quote, secret origin of Edison Hark, unquote, is revealed. Now Edison Hark, of course, is that Chinese American cop who became a cop in nineteen thirty Chinese American who became a cop in the nineteen thirties America. Um, and here we're gonna be seeing some more of his backstory that led to him to make choosing to walk this life. Um, the traumatic loss that the solicitation talks about in the beginning there is his adopted brother, which was a very, very sad scene at the end of the last issue. Um, where his adopted brother did get shot and die shot or stabbed I don't recall but he got wounded and ended up dying um, and it was a really really tragic moment there um, so now that is going to be the kickoff point for more backstory and I am down for it because this this is such a good series it, it's um, very informative um, of, of this period and it's very unique of this period because as the solicitation to say it's a Chinese American becoming a cop in 1930s America that is not you know the norm so it's a it's a cool thing to read and I I'm excited for these last couple of issues Harley Quinn number seven is coming from Stephanie Phillips with art by I'm honestly not sure if it's Riley Rossmo or Laura Braga um, because if you look up the covers, it does say Riley Rossmo, but then other sources are saying Laura Braga. So we'll see tomorrow when they come out, I guess. Um, this issue is going to be featuring the gardener, which makes sense because Harley Quinn was recently seen in the mediocre Batman stuff with the gardener confronting Queen Ivy, or at least trying to, um, in order to figure out what's up with her and then she's gonna pull the other ivy from the catwoman series to make her whole again um we're not doing hashtag poison ivy watch on this episode because we haven't had an update this is all just pre this week's comics inferno number one which is of four is by jonathan hickman and valerio shitty i have literally no point in me discussing it here just go listen to my other podcast episode which is the inferno special there will be plenty of information there for you to soak up so universal number eight is the eighth of ten issues from dynamite um this one has gone from being 
a really, really awesome kind of sci-fi reimagining of a multiverse to just kind of like a fun putzing around ex- I, I don't know, it's sort of extraterrestrial, extra well I'll just say multiversal um, but not not nearly, the, the first five issues were stupendous um, and these last couple of issues have just been, they've been okay um, what it says in the solicit is in the far-flung sci-fi future, Purple Sonia and her mech act as scouts for a space pilgrimage of the remaining members of humanity fleeing Earth. This scouting is made difficult by the return of Purple Sonia's greatest enemy, Kaiju, descending upon her. Her demise is all but assured until she re- receives help from Hell Sonia. Uh, so Hell Sonia is going around and helping the mult. mult-, mult- <laughs> I'm having issues with that. Multiversal uh, Sonia's, but we're not sure why, so she's most certainly up to something. Purple Sonia, if you are unfamiliar, <laughs> is a um, mech driver. She has a giant Sonia mech robot that she like rides in and, you know, mech stuff. Um, so this one may be we'll see if it's as interesting as, or if, we'll see if it's more interesting than the last few, um, but I have no doubt it's going to be cooler, because mechs, right? You can't go wrong. Strange Adventures 12 of 12 is also happening this week. This is, of course, the final issue by Tom King, with art by Mitch Gerrids and Doc Shainer from DC Black Label. Um, there has been so much going on up until this point, so much revealed, so many twists and turns and different directions leading us to different theories, completely wildly across the board. Um, But we are finally here at the end and we're finally going to figure out what the actual truth um, has been. So I'll just read you the solicitation here instead of trying to explain all 12 issues, all 11 issues so far. Mr. Terrific hasn't just dug into the past, he's jackhammered it into pieces, exposing Adam Strange's deepest, darkest secrets. If Adam did commit war crimes, he needs to be punished. But how do you pull a hero off the field of battle when he's staving off an alien invasion that supposedly only he can stop? Is the truth worth it? And what if Terrific is wrong? The only way the only one who may know for sure, Alana Strange. Alana, of course, being Adam's wife, um, who Adam may or may not have traded his daughter to the enemy um, as, like, um, assurance, I guess, as insurance for betraying Earth to them. So, uh, <laughs> That's what it's looking like, but we don't quite have all the pieces yet. We're going to get all that in this last issue, um, and I'm super, super excited for that reveal. Thor number 17. I, I, I was going to drop the series because it was sucking so bad. It just was so not good. Um, and then 16 happened, and 16 was... The issue that reminded me why people ever gave a shit about Donny Cates as like an up and coming comic writer. That, in issue 16, is the stuff that made me a fan of him at any point. 
Uh, we haven't seen that in a while, and it was good to see again. <laughs> because anything that I've read from Donny Cates in the past year or two, I would want to say, has just been... A little bit lazy. Even King Black, I did not... I saw there was so much wrong with it. But we won't get into that now. Um, so what we have here is Thor, right? Uh, issues with uh, Mjolnir. It says, Thor, ruler of Asgard, can now focus on just that, ruling. But with power comes truth, and Thor will learn that being king isn't so simple. When havoc on Midgard begins, Mjolnir seems to have vanished under the Avengers' watch. Oh boy. And Thor must learn that and more than one truth this day. Okay, so we're gonna find stuff out. Cool. Um, I'm giving this until the Throg issue. There's an issue like 19, I believe, is gonna apparently center around Throg. So we'll see what happens there if I am gonna be keeping up with it after that. But that wraps up the pull list. Um, again, if you were looking for information on Inferno, I have a whole podcast special on it. Go check that out now. Star Wars Visions Season 1 dropped in its entirety on this past Wednesday, the 22nd. There is a number of episodes on there. I believe there is 10 episodes or 9 episodes, actually, that are told anthology style. Um, basically, it is various Japanese anime studios were given not prompts necessarily but an opportunity to tell whatever Star Wars stories they would like and so what you get in response is a delightful array of growth in the Star Wars mythos um, and it is really really thrilling um, there have been some questions that I've seen as to why this is even happening. Um, the Star Wars kind of Japanese themed. I know some people were not really sure about what that was about. Um, and it really goes back into the history of Star Wars being created in the first place and George Lucas. Um, some people may not be familiar. George Lucas was actually inspired by uh, film director Akira Kurosawa, who he directed films like Ran, Rashomon, Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, and The Hidden Fortress, all very well-known films. Um, Kurosawa's films often followed the exploits of samurai or ronin, and ronin is a term that gets thrown around a lot in comics, but it basically means a masterless samurai or a freelance swordsman. Um, who got paid for gigs. Um, in 1958's The Hidden Fortress, it was an obvious foundation for George Lucas's Star Wars series, and in A New Hope alone, there's plenty of fodder for a semester-long college course exploring all the many nods towards this filmmaker's influence, this Japanese filmmaker's influence. Um, there are even seeds of Star Wars um, the the the, trans the transitional swipes that are famous in Star Wars also are supposedly linked back to Kurosawa's films as well. Some of the things that you can see being connections are uh, in the movie The Hidden Fortress, you get a story told from the point of view of two lowly peasants wandering across the desert. And in Star Wars, of course, you get uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO, two droids, 
um, going on a journey and they kind of tell the bulk of the story for a good chunk of the movie. We see it from their perspective. Uh, we also see the famous binary sunrise on Tatooine from A New Hope. Um, there are some scenes from Kurosawa's Dersu Uzala, um, where you can see both the sun and the moon visible at the same time. That can be said to be inspiration for that infamous scene with Luke Skywalker. Um, a very obvious one, a couple of very obvious ones, actually, for these last few things I wanted to mention. Uh, the garb, generally across Star Wars movies. Specifically, Queen Amidala's dresses, um, pretty much all of them take some kind of cue or inspiration from Japanese costumes or kabuki costumes. Uh, the Jedi garb alone, this is one that I think pretty much everybody can agree with and everybody can probably figure out a little bit on their own. Uh, they take a lot of inspiration from traditional Japanese samurai robes. They are shockingly familiar. <laughs> familiar. They're shockingly similar to samurai robes. Um, as well as the um, the whole way of life being pacifists, um, you know, unless they need to come to the aid of others, all of the, let's say, lifestyle of the samurai was very related to what Lucas wrote, the Jedi core... Um, core belief systems to be like. It was very similar. Um, and then, of course, finally, another pretty obvious one, Vader's helmet um, is very clearly inspired by samurai helmets as well, with the kind of outward outward poking frill. Um, I don't even, I don't know what to call it, but um, I mean, any of these things, if you're confused or can't see those connections, Literally just Google it. There's so many pictures. Um, I, I'm sure there's so many other things that there's probably lists and lists online of the different references in Star Wars to other films, such as a Kurosawa films. So uh, you can Google it and see the pictures. <laughs> um, but that is, for the most part, why this show was sort of, why it's been sort of called for at all. Um, I know for years, my husband and I have been actually, personally, we have been wanting to see, um, just talking generally about how nice it would be to see a, um, Japanese Star Wars take. Well, well, we have nine episodes of it now, and I love it. I love it. Um, I will say that there are some episodes that stand out a lot more than others. Um, the episode The Twins is fantastic. Um, it's a bit longer than some of the others, and it, one of the voice actresses in it is Brie Larson for the English version of the um, cast, of course. And I, there's a scene, my husband pointed this out, and I have to mention it because it made me laugh. There's a scene, the character who she's voicing gets kind of wrapped up in, um, like, tentacle-type things. And he just had to say it's very um, surprising that they didn't... You know in anime a lot, you get the, you know, kind of like the sexual gasp. They didn't do that at all when Brie Larson was tied up in tentacles. It was impressive. Restraint. 
Um, but also it's Disney, so I'm sure there wasn't there was a lot of stuff that they could not do that was off the table. Um, the first episode is a really, really good look at, or I guess example for what to expect for the rest of the series, not in style of, not in the sense of what it is that's happening, um, or the activity or, you know, the fight sequences or anything like that. But it is entirely new characters in an entirely new location um, with completely new designed costumes and clearly different histories than what we've seen at all before in the Star Wars universe. Um, and oh my gosh, and you see some of the coolest weapons! Basically, I don't want to go through and spoil everything, but basically in the first episode, you have this Ronin Sam- this Ronin, uh, Ronin Jedi. He's not really a Jedi, though. He's more of a balance keeper. I don't know if he would subscribe to the idea of Grey Jedi. I'm not going to make that decision for him. Uh, but he clarifies that he is not Sith and he is not Jedi. What he does is he goes around and he kills Sith and takes their kyber crystal, their red kyber crystal, from their lightsaber hilt and collects them so when he ends up killing this lady at the end or whatever it is he does to her I think he kills her um, he takes her kyber crystal and breaks it out of the saber and he opens his jacket and it's like you know the, the jokes of the the guy look at my watches you know on the street it's like that lined with kyber crystals on the inside of his coat so cool um, he ends up keep leaving one with the village so they can better protect themselves because they had been attacked by a uh, a Sith and her troops and things. The Sith's weapon? Female Sith. Amazing character designs in all of these episodes. Except for the one about Jabba's like nephew or whatever, the Hut kid. That one was kind of weird. Um, I think it was the second episode too, so it went from like, wow, this is crazy badass samurai stuff, and then there's this fat slug kid who wants to play guitar. <laughs> It's literally what it was like. <laughs> um, I'm sure people liked that episode. I didn't. Uh, that was like the second one. But anyway, um, this lady in the first episode, her Sith weapon was like a regular lightsaber, but then it had like umbrella spokes at the end of it where she could get the crystal's energy instead of being one thick beam, it would be a bunch of thin little beams that she can spin around like a um, like an umbrella, but it reverses so he can go like all flattened down towards her hand or flip it up like a popped inside out umbrella and it all points the other direction or just have it spin out like a fan really really awesome weapon design we also got some really sick weapon design in the story called the twins which was that one with allison brie um really cool ship designs in that one too just a lot of like i recommend this so much if you at all geek out or get sweaty about star wars space stuff sci-fi lightsabers sith I mean, it, there's just so much really cool stuff, and I feel like if you have a Disney Plus subscription and you're not watching this, you are definitely missing out, so go check that one out. The final chunk of this podcast episode today is going to be taken up by discussing Doom Patrol Season 3, Episodes 1 through 3, which did drop all together on this past Thursday, the 23rd. Um, I will The titles of the episodes, before we go through them, 
is Possibilities Patrol is episode one, episode two is Vacay Patrol, and episode three is Dead Patrol, which I have a bit more to say about because there's some cool stuff that we see in that. I mean, it's all cool, but um, I just had some stuff I wanted to point out in that particular episode. So if you recall, because it's been a good minute, where we left off with season two of Doom Patrol is Dorothy, who is the chief's daughter. She lost control of the candle maker, basically, who was that nuts demon thing that her mother used to control but then her mother died and it got passed to her because yay trauma um <laughs> i'm taking that as a metaphor or at least for for generational trauma um anyway dorothy lost control of the candle maker her dad ends up dying um and the whole carnival gets waxed over and everybody in it so we we start things back right away um exactly pretty much where we left them off the chief is dead. Dorothy makes good with the candle maker, was able to overcome him and become the the ruling entity inside her being again. Uh, but after all of this has gone down, she cannot bring herself to bury her father's body. Um, meanwhile, Rita discovers that she has been left with something. Um, it is a key with a little charm on one end. Um, some kind of secret is what the letter that it came with it is what it says. He's left her, he trusts her the most, and so he's left her with his biggest secret. Okay, whatever that means, dude. Um, until a week later, when an alarm starts going off and it turns out that that is connected to the key that Rita was given, she discovers that the key opens a secret bookshelf cabinet thing hiding a phone, which when she opens it, it keeps repeating, arrival imminent but she can't, she tries to, to reach to answer the phone, can't get her arm to solidify because remember Rita turns to goop um, and, and she also can't grab the receiver and it eventually stops on her its own and she's kind of like, okay, I hope every, I'm, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure everything's fine. That meant nothing. Nobody knows what's going on, basically. Jane, um, <laughs> she's kind of remember all the where we left off was basically all the personalities personas in jane are um kind of been taken over by this figure miranda who it turns out was not miranda um was the last thing we saw of her so jane now goes and confronts her because she's clearly evil and out for no good for the kid um kate Whatever the kid's name is. Um, yeah, whatever the kid's name is. Um, <laughs> so, so all the personalities, she's got them stuck doing the same puzzle um, and Jane can't get to the top to take charge of the body and, you know, get things going again. Um, so she ends up having to beat the super super the suicidal personality um that's trying to take her over on the underground which is um, you know inside their mind um and she is able to make it up to the top come out as jane awaken alive in the world and say goodbye to the chief before his daughter dorothy takes him away on danny the street if you remember danny the street was a living street that has magical powers I loved that whole thing. This, this 
It's so weird and stupid, and I love it. Day of the Street is a actual comic book character as well. That's something that I really love about Doom Patrol. I'm getting off this, off track here. Side, we try words. Uh, something I really love about Doom Patrol is they throw in a lot of these old random characters who really existed in the comics and you've probably never heard of because they're such deep cuts um but they throw a lot of those in just for like cameos basically and it's a lot of really it's 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 really a lot of fun um so danny the street uh is now an ambulance because he can do that or they can do that i don't think danny's a he um i don't know i could be wrong um so Danny the ambulance drives Dorothy and her va- her father to go bury his body. So Larry, who is the negative man, is that what he was called? Um, who's all wrapped up like a mummy and wears the sunglasses. He also takes off because his uh, negative entity is like, wants him to go to space. So they go to space. And that's a whole thing. Um, and he leaves behind Rita, Jane, Cyborg, and Mr. Robot. Um, at one point we get the chief, remember Niles, who, you have to also, yeah, you have to remember through all of this, Niles did all of this to them. Everything about, um, Jane and her messed up mind, Cyborg's weird body in the explosion, um, Mr. Robot being a robot (laughs) after having gotten himself killed and his wife killed, uh, Rita's gloopiness. It's all because of Niles. So when Niles shows up to Robot Man as a ghost and tell him, Mr. Robot, whatever, um, and tells him he has to burn his body to release his spirit, he laughs at him. Because why would we help you when you literally tortured us and destroyed our lives? Um, later on, uh, Mr. Robot. Is it Mr. Robot or Robot Man? I'm having such an issue with remembering what his, like, hero name is. Um, anyway, he calls his daughter because now his daughter knows he's alive, if you don't recall that. Um, and she was pregnant with her, um, her, she and her wife are, she's pregnant, but she, it's, but she and her wife are having the baby. I don't want to, she's just the one who's pregnant. The wife is just there with her. Okay, you got it. Um, so in this episode, his daughter, he calls his daughter and she's in labor. So he goes to meet the newborn, of course. Then we get Melissa Rodriguez's character, who is, I believe, Madame Rouge or something like that. Uh, she arrives outside of a playhouse and terrifies the girl who was playing Glob Lady, a.k.a. Rita, (laughs) in the play. Um, Her character pees on the ground, wipes with the playbill, and announces that she's looking for Niles Coulter. Um, Well, he's dead, so that's going to be a problem. Um, Later in the episode, the ghost of the chief... Well, actually, this is the end. The ghost of the chief sits in front of the fireplace, looking quite sad. Uh, He then notices a set of ghosts screwing on the ceiling, if for some reason the lady's nipples are blurred out, <laughs> it's kind of weird. Uh, they they like gesture for him to join them, and he like agrees and starts to get undressed before um, he is ghostly pulled away uh, to where he is buried. Where the character who is Mark Shepard, who I can't remember the character's name, uh, cuts off his head, puts it in a bag, and takes it with him. So only good stuff happening for good old Mister Dead Niles. 
episode two, which, as I said, was titled Vacay Patrol, Enter the Brotherhood of Evil. This is a evil organization from the comics, so all good stuff. They are sending a new guy after Rita. Um, he is called Garguax. If I'm pronouncing that right. Garguax? Garguax? I think that's how he said it. Um, he is green and has a big gold coin in his forehead. And his manservant is red. Also, he's played by Billy Boyd, a.k.a. Pippin from Lord of the Rings. So that's cool. Um, he, uh, he, he says, Garguax insists that our presence here will go entirely unnoticed, and then proceeds to make a dramatic entrance into the dining hall every single time. Um... So, Garguax is a character who was created in the comics for being an enemy of Doom Patrol. He was created in 1961, um, and he is pretty somewhat similar to what he looks like in the comics, so that's cool. Uh, Doom Patrol, meantime, decides to go on vacation, and they happen to choose the same place where Garguax has been staying since the 1960s looking for Rita to kill. That's what his whole mission was. They hit it off with him, which is really funny, but then when they discover Rita, Garguax tries not to get involved and is hensely killed by his own manservant, who goes to kill the Doom Patrol members himself. Rita is the only one who almost escapes, but then the Madame Rouge character, you know, the time-traveling lady, um, blocks her exit and makes sure that she is, that Rita is killed too. And she blocks the exit with her face transformed into Rita's face. So um, we know based on advertisements for this show that she has no, that she has very poor memory. Um, so it's possible that she she takes on other personalities and things and maybe that's why she doesn't remember who she is. I don't know. We'll see in time. Um, but in, in the end, everybody ends up getting killed in this. Um, so that kind of sucks. But what really struck me about this episode is the classic Doom Patrol theme of having these really genuinely fucked up in the head, screwed up lives people who are just trying to survive. Like, um, there's that joke about how the X-Men are the prettiest, most glamorous mutants when so much of mutant kind is horrifying for regular people to even look at. Um, Doom Patrol are those sad, depressing mutants, basically. <laughs> um, and so it's fun. It's relatable, maybe, to see people who have so much going on struggle so much in their regular lives. So now we're going to go ahead and finish things up with episode three called Dead Patrol, which finds us with the Doom Patrol on a boat crossing the river Styx, of course, arguing about being dead. Jane calls it horseshit, and then everybody passes out. And when that happens, Rita decides that she's just going to fake it till she makes it, uh, which is a good call. Uh, but she does end up strung up by her wrist like the rest of them in a room full of dead bodies hanging all that same way. So, you know. Not horrifying at all, in the least bit. Um, the others are 
sleeping, possibly, or in heaven or something, while Rita tries to find her way out. Ray dreams or visions, whatever, his mom, uh, hiking with his mom, Cliff of his dad who hunts and kills a Pegasus, and Kay, who is the little girl who is the actual person who Jane is, uh, she dreams or whatever of her grandmother, which we get some insights on her history and it is tragic and traumatic. Um, someone ships their dead bodies in IRL to the chief's house for poor Larry to find now that he's back, which is completely crushing, especially since his negative entity appears to have left him in space, off when they were in space. Uh, it's pretty gruesome. <laughs> Four boxes of dead bodies is pretty bad. Um, Dorothy returns and somewhat gently pulls him out of it, taking all of this honestly in excellent stride for someone her age. Well, she's a lot older than she looks. Um, she does offer to make him pancakes to make him feel better, uh, but he finds her crying over the bowl and goes over to help her. Uh, but then he thinks he sees Rita's face in the pancake batter and Dorothy is smart enough to believe him and so they go get help. Um, it is a pair of crime fighting investigating, investigating, excuse me, a pair of crime investigating ghosts and their psychic human counterpart. They are discovered um, on the street by Danny the ambulance and taken to the chief's mansion where Dorothy and Larry are waiting on them. They are the Dead Boy Detective Agency. Dorothy and Larry can see and hear them because they have either had near-death experiences or seen great horrors. So both for both of them. Uh, Dead Boy Detectives have appeared in comic books published by DC's Vertigo imprint, which is really cool. Doesn't exist anymore, but so RIP Vertigo. Uh, they were created by Neil Gaiman and Matt Wagner to go with the Sandman universe. Oh, and Malcolm Jones III. Uh, the, the first issue they appeared in was Sandman number 25 in April 1991. So they have quite the history in comics. Not extended history, but they have been around for a while. Uh, they are the ghosts of two dead children, which in the show it looks more like they're in their early 20s, maybe. Their names are Charles Rowland and Edwin Payne, who... Rather than enter the afterlife, they decided to stay on Earth to become detectives investigating crimes involving the supernatural. Their human counterpart is a psychic known as Crystal, also a character from the comics. Um, there is some funny quotes that we got in this episode. One was um, when they walk into the room and see all of the dead bodies wrapped up like Larry is. <laughs> At the, at the dining room table set up like they're eating they look at him and they go why did you do this and he says isn't it clear can't you see that i'm not okay <laughs> dark humor love it um they do gather some of dorothy's things that she connects to um other people i guess yeah dorothy's things they connect to other people uh, the, the one the dead ones they're trying to connect to um, and they are interrupted by the ghosts having sex again and we find out that apparently turnip is the safe word for ghosts I think in that house or just in general not sure but it was pretty funny um, it is then decided that the ghost boys and Larry are going to go to the afterlife to try and save the rest of Doom Patrol so they literally knock Larry's spirit out of his body. It was pretty funny. 
hit him with a baseball bat. Um, in the place before the afterlife, uh, by the time they get there, basically everybody has already woken up out of their dream states. They did it all on their own, go them. Um, and they all be just in time to run into a creature who apparently works with death. Now, they keep referencing this persona of death as a woman, and I have to wonder if the death in this universe is, and the one that they're referring to, is the death from the Sandman stuff, his sister, you know, since that's where the dead boy detectives are from, too. Um, if that's the case, then this is super cool, and I wish we could have seen her. We may still see her, who knows, but, um, the creature lady, who's like the spider mouth lady who tries to keep them from returning back to the land of the living, I don't- Ruthie O'Connell, that's her name. I was just gonna say I don't remember her name, but I do. Uh, she had a good long stint on Supernatural playing the witch Ravina, um, which was- Ravina? Ravenna? Rowena. There we go. Um, Rowena, which was a, she was a pretty cool character, really poor depiction of witchcraft, um, but that's okay. It's Hollywood. <laughs> um, but anyway, that is Ruthie O'Connell is the, uh, witch lady. She's Scottish. She's super cool. So, um, I don't know if we're going to find out if death is that death, um, but in my head canon, personally, it totally is. Um, they are also helped out of this pre-afterlife space by a monster man, and they are able to escape. They do all get projectile vomited on, though, and are super excited about it because they thought it was going to be acid, and it wasn't, which was pretty funny. And then they all wake up mummy-wrapped at the table. That monster man who had recognized Rita, um... Or, or the monster man, he had recognized Rita. Um, so Larry suggests that possibly he had mistaken her for another Rita, which makes our Rita think back to the shape-shifting, or face-shifting at least, time-traveling woman who had adopted her face that night that they got killed and shoved her back into the hotel room to her death. So more mysteries there. Um, Dorothy, in the end of the episode ends up leaving with the ghost detectives and Crystal, and then Michelle Rodriguez, aka Madame Rouge, makes her presence known. So we'll be getting more about her as we go along. And the next episode of Doom Patrol is a zombie episode, so no doubt will be super duper fun to watch. Um, although I do hope we see more of Dorothy pretty soon because she's a pretty fun character. And that wraps up this episode of Sensational She-Geek Live from Yancey Street. Thank you so much for listening. Um, as I've been mentioning over and over again on this episode, the next episode is going to be up either tonight or tomorrow night, and it's going to be the Inferno Prep Podcast, which is going to be covering <laughs> literally any questions that you could possibly have about the Inferno event starting on Wednesday. So don't miss out on that. After that episode, though, the next regularly scheduled episode will be happening on Friday, the 1st of October. Yay, October. 
Um, and that is going to be covering, of course, comic book picks, but also the next episode of Titans on HBO Max, which will be premiering on Thursday night, the 30th, as well as the next episode of What If, which will be premiering on Wednesday, the 29th on Disney+. Plus. I will probably wait to discuss the next episode of Doom Patrol until the next Monday episode, just to try and keep things evenly timed out as best as I can. Thank you again for listening to whatever portion of the podcast you were able to. I always appreciate that very much. Um, So have a nice week. Read some good comics. Watch some good TV. Take care of yourself. Take care of those around you. And uh, definitely get sweaty about the shit that you enjoy.